0: Hello, and welcome to the Everything is Market Manipulation episode of Slate Money, your guide to the business and finance news of the week. We have a jam-packed episode this week, I can tell you. I am Felix Salmon of Axios. I'm joined by my colleague, Emily Peck. Hello. We are here in the Slate Studios in downtown Brooklyn, New York, with Elizabeth Spires. Hi. Hello. We're all together, so this is going to make the show even better. But mostly this is a good show because, oh my God, how much we have to talk about. We have to talk about Bill Wang and Arkagos, and he has been charged with crimes. We have to talk about...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Felix is getting very animated. I'm
0: getting animated.
1: Animated.
0: Animated. (laughs) (laughs) Talking of animation, we have to talk about Disney. Because they don't have any gay characters, but somehow they got into trouble with Florida and now we get to explain what that has to do with municipal bonds oh my god it's my favorite thing in the world that is coming up and some guy bought a company so we're gonna have to talk about that as well but you know Emily is rolling her eyes she's like oh god we do apologize for talking about that man three weeks in a row and we will stop now and a slate plus on tipping all coming up on slate money So now that we are all together in person, we get to talk about my favorite subject, which is the Ready Creek Improvement District.
1: <laughs> now tell people what that means because no one will know.
0: The Ready Creek Improvement District was set up in 1967 when Walt Disney decided that Disneyland in California was not big enough. So he was going to build a whole new one and he scoured all of the possible places in America because he wasn't quite as global back then to find out where he was going to do Disneyland 2, the sequel. (laughs) And he found it in a swamp in Florida somewhere. And as part of the deal that he did with the Florida government, they set up this thing called the Ready Creek Improvement District, which is this large chunk of land upon which he then built Disney World, a whole bunch of hotels, Epcot, you name it, Hulkit and caboodle. And basically what it did was it allowed Disney to control the municipal infrastructure of where he was building. It was a swamp. He built the municipal did infrastructure. Did he drain the swamp, Felix? He pretty much drained the swamp. Um, but from that point on, Disney has had complete control basically of the municipality within which it sits and if you look at say what happens in anaheim which is an actual town there's a constant tension between disney and anaheim and everyone constantly criticizes anaheim for being too friendly to disney in the ready creek improvement district this is not really an issue because disney pays all of the taxes And it spends all of the taxes. But it does have this really interesting thing that it's one of the highest taxed municipalities in Florida because Disney wants really good roads and really good sewerage and really good municipal infrastructure. And so it pays huge taxes to itself to be able to provide those things. And then then what it does, which is, of course, because everything is an arbitrage, it issues tax-free municipal bonds to help invest in all of this infrastructure. So Reddy Creek Improvement District has like a billion dollars of bonds outstanding, all of which are serviced with the tax revenues that Reddy Creek charges to Disney, even though Reddy Creek, to most intents and purposes, is Disney. Are you with me so far?
1: Disney pays taxes essentially to itself.
0: And it gets to borrow money tax-free. If you buy a municipal bond, you don't need to pay income tax on the interest payments. And so that means it can borrow money at very low interest rates.
1: Wow. So this is a good deal for Disney because it gets to do what it wants. It doesn't have to uh, like beg to build this or that. It can just do stuff. It doesn't have to pass environmental checks from the state. Not that I imagine Florida has like the highest of standards yeah, but, but in that it, But
0: regard. it doesn't have, like, a bunch of NIMBYs on the council saying, oh, you want to build a new roller coaster? That's too high and it's going to be too noisy and I'm going to object.
2: Right. It's not subject to the, the craziness of normal Florida infrastructure.
1: Exactly. So, but then all of this comes crashing down like a house of cards because of the Don't Say Gay, as it's known, legislation which passes in Florida. And... I guess, well, Elizabeth probably can explain this better than I, but the law basically says school teachers can't talk about sexuality at all and everyone hates this law that's not everyone. A lot of Disney workers hate the law because it's discriminatory against gay people because it, there's like a lot of situations where there'll be an edge case. Maybe there's um, a third grade teacher is getting married and she's getting married to a woman and she can't talk about it because that would like...
0: Be saying gay. Be
1: saying gay. And the enforcement mechanism for the law is kind of like the Texas abortion ban where, like, parents can call you in and report you. I mean, it's terrible. It's a bad yeah, law. It's also
2: it's, – it's not very clear, you know, what what the desired enforcement is or, or you know, where the gray areas are. There was somebody who uh, wrote a letter in, in a way that – I saw somebody refer to as something like uh, aggressive compliance where basically a teacher said – you know, we're reading this story to third graders, and it involves a mom and a dad and a heterosexual couple. And since that implies, you know, based on the language of the bill, that we're, we're talking about sexuality, then I'm sorry, I can't read any of these books to your children.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in any case, like, if, if we talk about Ron DeSantis, who's the governor of Florida, he does everything in a very performative kind of way he is not legislating carefully for optimal legislation he's passing these crazy laws like don't say gay and then because disney objected to don't say gay he passed a law saying i'm going to abolish the ready creek improvement district It's just going to disappear in 2023 he spent i'm gonna guess five minutes on like trying to think this through uh, He's
2: just running for president early. This right. is what he's doing. And he knows that some of the stuff isn't really going to be feasible in, in the execution. So.
0: so but this means that we now get to gloriously nerd out about municipal <laughs> don, bond finance. And and the ready so you have a billion dollars of bonds outstanding from Ready Creek. If Ready Creek disappears, what happens to those bonds? Under most readings of Florida law. Well, what happens to those bonds is that they get basically absorbed into the debt of the local counties. The local counties have no ability to absorb that debt. And they have, it has to be repeated, much, much lower tax rates than Disney does. Disney taxes itself at a very high rate so that it gets to have super high quality infrastructure. Everyone else in Florida is like, we like low taxes. And so this is going to be a problem because suddenly all of these relatively poor Florida counties with relatively low tax rates are going to have to service a billion dollars of debt. And or Florida itself, under the terms of the 1967 law creating the Reddy Creek Improvement District, is going to have to pay off the entire billion dollar debt before it can dissolve Reddy Creek. So on one hand, Disney loses a large degree of self-determination. On the other hand, it's basically a free gift of a billion dollars from Florida. So I don't know which one. Like Disney probably would like to keep things as they are. But if if someone's coming along to them with a billion dollar check, they're probably not going to turn up their nose at it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have the sense. I've been reading the Wall Street Journal reporting on this, which has been pretty good. And I guess the situation now is Disney's behind the scenes kind of trying to, like, negotiate its way out of this mess. And, like, you kind of feel like they will and this probably somehow goes away would be my guess. Like, neither neither of the outcomes you just said will happen and somehow things will just be okay. That's my theory. I think there's other implications here because over the past, like, decade or so, companies have gotten more – socially active, let's say. They've taken more stances on issues, especially around LGBTQ issues. There was um, those bathroom bills a few years of ago. North and,
0: Carolina, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm,
1: and um, and I think in Indiana. And Salesforce took like a big stand on those. And the companies backed down. And uh, employees of these companies, too, have a certain expectation for the kinds of positions and stances
0: that so companies we, take. So, yeah, we should talk about what happened internally at Disney, Mm -hmm. because Disney has always been a very sort of gay-friendly place. Obviously, you know, it's a very creative company. It has the famous gay days at Disney World have been going on for decades. And its employees were like, this is terrible, you need to protest. And there was something about the sort of inherent cautiousness of Bob JPEG, the new CEO of Disney, who was like, yes, we should protest, but maybe not too loudly or something, and we don't want to piss off the Floridians too much. And it wound up backfiring so badly that he wound up going way off in the opposite direction and being, you know, just very like kind of bellowing in a tone-deaf kind of way that just really pissed off Ron DeSantis even more than Bob Iger would have done, who was the consummate politician, who would have been much better at keeping his gay employees happy while also not creating an unnecessary fire in Florida.
2: Well, I think it's it's important to to understand that Disney when when the average American kind of looks at Disney, they think of a specific Disney product. Uh, not necessarily the corporate entity. And for a lot of people, it, you know, as a native of kind of rednecky conservative Alabama, they think Disney, they think of children's animation products. Mm-hmm. And there is a big discrepancy between the way Disney, at the corporate level, talks about things like LGBTQ issues and, and what they actually put out. You know, when they've tried to put, for instance, a, a gay character, even even kind of in a secondary way, into an animated feature, there's been huge backlash. And they, they've sort of refrained from doing it. And so there's a lot of hedging, you know, where at the corporate level, they can say, you know, we are family friendly in this way uh, to all families. But then what the average person and the and people sort of driving this cultural war backlash on the right see from Disney is this very specific children's product. And that's part of where the backlash was coming from. You know, they're not thinking of Disney as a large company or conglomerate that owns a million different things. They they really associate it with that one thing.
0: You know, as the resident redneck here. Can, <laughs> can, can you explain exactly like the, the, the sequence of events here? The Don't say gay law gets signed in Florida and it becomes this flashpoint. Then how does Disney react? And then what is the reaction of the local Florida red- le- rednecks to the Disney reaction. Like, work, work me through that.
2: I, I think the the initial reaction, the backlash to the don't-say-gay law was coming from Disney employees. It wasn't right. coming from Disney executive management who were still quietly donating to the politicians who voted for it. But once the employees were very vocal about it, it gave, you know, people who were at the forefront of the culture war a flashpoint to work with because they knew that, you know, a huge part of their constituency consists of the conservatives who, again, think of Disney as a purveyor of children's animated movies. Mm-hmm.
0: So then Bob Chapek comes out with an official a like, corporate executive statement saying, yeah. we think this is a his, terrible law. His
2: first statement was really wishy-washy and made it sound like they had not really decided to pull back on donations. And then the employee backlash, you know, got more intense. And then the national coverage got more intense. And so then you can't really have it both ways because you're being scrutinized by everybody simultaneously. So you really gets, just have to take a position. So he
0: gets back into a corner. He takes the position. And then what happens? Explain what happens then. Like, why does Florida and Ron DeSantis feel that they need to make an example of him and destroy his improvement district?
2: It's performative. I mean, De- DeSantis has, uh, you know, is developing a, a kind of brand for himself because he does want to run for president. And he, he wants to be in the kind of Trumpy corner. So picking a fight with Disney is is huge for him. It's, it's you know, lots of earned media. It puts him at the forefront of these issues. Uh, I don't think that it's strategic. I mean, why would you beat up on a company that, that you know, is responsible for so much of your state's revenue?
0: So, I mean, I want to also talk a little bit about this whole question of corporations owning and controlling municipal infrastructure and and just the infrastructure of the country. It seems to me to be much more problematic in Anaheim than it is in Florida, because in Florida, it really is just as near the any kind of externalities that they have on the local community is tiny because the entire district is them. And then insofar as there is more of a local community, it's other, you know, entertainment parks from Universal Studios or SeaWorld or whatever, right? So so it's hard to find a bunch of locals who are like, oh, I really hate Disney because it's the local economy. In In Anaheim, it's different. There are like local people who aren't particularly rich, who have nothing to do with Disney, who wind up having to just go along with whatever Disney wants because Disney controls things in a kind of undemocratic way. In principle, I think I'm probably in favor of the idea that corporations shouldn't own municipalities, that you shouldn't have these kind of districts that are controlled by corporations. But also this idea of just coming in and dissolving them seems equally silly.
1: It's all really bananas because all the lines are getting crossed in strange ways. You have on the Internet, you have leftists and liberals kind of defending Disney because clearly like Whether or not it was right in the first place to let a corporation (laughs) run a town, essentially, is like set to the side. We know that you can't have the government um, retaliating against a corporation for taking a stand because that seems like going against the free speech principles of corporations, which all of a sudden like people on the left are like. Companies are people too. And it's like, <laughs> what it. is happening?
2: There, there was a Democrat, I'm blanking on who it was, who referred to it as authoritarian socialism <laughs> on DeSantis's part, which is mind boggling. Yeah. B- it's because just the, the very real, flipped around.
0: The real authoritarian socialism, if you want to see this in practice, is just down the road in Celebration, Florida, right? Which is a whole <laughs> town that was built by Disney as like the perfect you know, cookie tin town with incredible restrictions in terms of HOA r- laws about what you can do to anything. And it's all built by like Michael Graves and these architects. And it's, you know, it's very Truman showish. Mm-hmm. But as far as I can tell, the prices in celebration are still, you know, there's still a premium over the surrounding area. People like want to pay more to live there.
1: Well, I mean, it sounds like Disney knows how to run stuff. And I mean, I don't know that Florida is known for being good at running stuff. Maybe a little
2: bit. There are also just people who really do want to live in Stepford, you know, existence. And Disney is good at manufacturing that. So
1: Yeah. But what's interesting to me now is like, so Ron DeSantis is against a woke corporation. And like after Citigroup made its abortion announcement with Texas, you know, Texas politicians were suddenly against woke banks. Like, what is happening? Like, are Republicans turning against business? Because for as long as I've been alive, they've been the party of big business that aligned with big business. But has... I can't believe I'm saying... Has big business gone too far with its social stances? I don't (laughs) think so. I'm one of the people that are out there, you know, like, saying, like, yeah, Disney is supporting its LGBTQ employees, but at the same time, it doesn't really have any, like, gay characters in its movies. And, like, what is happening? Like, they haven't really gone that far out on limbs, these companies. They make these like greenwashing statements that are now being taken really seriously by Republican politicians and right-wing politicians who are now pushing back on like this very like milk toast social activism the companies have been doing. It's really Well I don't think yeah, the
2: Republicans pushing these lines are are dumb about it. I don't think that they actually believe that Corporations are suddenly more ideological than they used to be. But it's it's sort of the only way for them to protest the fact that corporations increasingly understand that their business interests uh, lie in being more inclusive and, and you know, uh, doing things to protect their employees, including women and minorities. And those things are directly aligned with what they need to do as companies. Um, So the only way for Republicans to really protest it is to suggest that it's just an ideological choice and it's caving to pressure from the left.
1: But they're setting themselves up as like anti-corporate. I guess Republicans have always kind of walked that line and Donald Trump was quite good at it of saying like he's against big business interests or whatever, at the same time being completely for big business interests. Well, I think uh,
0: not always. I mean, since Trump, right? You wouldn't yes, have, you wouldn't have had like Mitt Romney coming out against big business.
2: Right, right. So it is well, feels like a new thing. Republican libertarianism has always been full of kind of hypocritical lines. You know, there's a lot of we, we would like to tell you what to do with, you know, your body, your property, et cetera, while also maintaining that corporations can do whatever they want. So I think Republican voters are just accustomed to these constant contradictions in terms of what the party in theory believes and what they actually sort of do in practice, which is usually just oppositional to whatever yeah. Democrats no, want. I feel like
0: it, there is a kind of barbell strategy there, right? That you use the, the corporate donations that you get in return for low corporate tax rates to build up your... Party f- and the base. Well, the base of your party. You know, you can't have a party whose base is CEOs, right? So you need you need like red meat for the base, and then you pick. Well, the Trump base. Yay. Okay. Um, well,
1: it just seems like I don't know how you can be. My mind. Wait, you're looking of, for
0: intellectual consistency here, aren't you?
1: My mind is just breaking on this a little bit lately. <laughs> I just I've been getting a lot of press releases in my inbox from like groups that are saying, like, calling Citigroup Woke or or Blackstone, you know, Woke. And what is happening? Like, I just, it's scrambling my brain a little bit. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and... 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The one person who is 100% definitely, certainly not woke is Elon Musk. (laughs)
1: Oh, that's good. Good job.
0: (laughs) Who came out this week... You know, with a bunch of extremely explicitly political tweets. You know, he's like, I used to, I used to be a supporter, supporter of Obama, but now the left has gone way too far to the left, and uh, now I don't like them anymore, and they've gone completely crazy, and he's aligning himself with not just the right, but the super, super, super far right, like Tim Poole, who is this like completely batshit right wing YouTube. He was tweeting
2: at Ben Shapiro yesterday. Yeah. Which is just depressing. <laughs> and so
0: he's 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 aligning himself with the with the you know, basically the alt-right at this point. Um, which is a super interesting progression for a guy that everyone always used to think of as kind of benignly sort of, you know, Silicon Valley mainstream. Um, which isn't necessarily liberal, but it's definitely blue state. You know?
1: I don't know, man. He he was ten- wasn't his partner Peter Thiel? Didn't they do PayPal together? They did. Peter Thiel so, so, is not so the, a the, the to me.
0: so yeah the 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 you can kind of see the Peter Thiel aspect of the Musk, you know, of Elon Musk sort of coming out more. They famous ha- they they famously have this kind of frenemy relationship. They you know have spent a lot of time together. They don't love each other, but they don't you know. So. But yeah, he seems to be moving in that direction into the kind of libertarian direction. That certainly the premise upon which he is buying twitter and that is the other news of the week which we do need to talk about which is that officially the twitter board has accepted elon musk's offer this was always possible i never thought it would happen i was like they're never gonna do it they went and did it um i think one of the reasons they did it was just because we did see this across the board pretty much sell-off in tech stocks so facebook went down a lot um Amazon went down, Apple went down. There's just like this broad weakness, PayPal, you name it, have all gone down. And so the Twitter board realized that if Elon sort of picked up his ball and walked away, then the Twitter stock would not just drop back to where it was before he came along, but it would drop a lot further than that. And so the amount they were going to lose in terms of shareholder value was going to be really huge. They're going to lose like half the value of the bid. So, and they couldn't come up with a credible plan to say, "Well, actually, if we stay in charge we're going to make the company worth more than fifty dollars fifty four dollars a share. so they felt like they had to say yes, and now Elon's going to have to find the money to buy it. This is going to be fascinating. He sold about eight and a half billion dollars worth of Tesla stock this week. he needs twenty one billion and he's going to have to pay capital gains taxes on that $8.5 So where the rest of that $21 billion is going to come from, um, any guesses Elizabeth?
2: Uh, no idea. I, I wrote about it for the Times this week, and I referred to him as the dog that caught the car, because <laughs> I, I genuinely believe that's what happened. I don't think that uh, he really fully thought through this uh, or expected that it would end up this way. So um, also, you know, Tesla stock fell in the news. Um, that's going to affect him.
0: That right. suddenly that suddenly makes it harder for him to, you know, raise cash by selling his Tesla stock because he's pledged nearly all of the rest of his Tesla stock at this yeah, he's point. he's
2: maxed out. I, I don't know. It's, all, it's all
0: collateral for various loans that he's taking out. So he can't get it from Tesla. Maybe he's going to find someone to buy a large chunk of SpaceX stock from him.
1: I mean, people are still saying there's still takes floating around, one from Reuters breaking views that argues he's just going to back out. He's going to, I think there's a, a billion dollar penalty, right? If if the deal breaks, yeah, he's he can, just going to eat it. He
0: can effectively, like technically he can't, but in reality he can just walk away and say, fuck it, and here's a billion dollars. It, it was a good excuse for him to sell eight and a half billion dollars worth of Tesla stock at a crazy valuation. So now he's, you know, dynastically wealthy for the rest of his life, no matter yeah. what happens to Tesla. You know, it, and he, all it costs him is a bunch of capital gains tax and a billion dollar breakup fee. Genius, right? I mean, I I am sympathetic to that view. I think there really is a non-negligible chance of the deal falling apart. It's and still, you, trad- is,
1: stock, stock still trading. The stock is, Twitter stock is still trading as though it's not going to happen. Is
0: tr- well, no, the stock is trading as though it is going to happen, right? The stock is trading at $49 a share, which is a lot closer to 54 than it is to wherever it would be trading if this deal wasn't on the table.
1: I know, but I, I still wouldn't buy it, even though it looks like you would make Five bucks if you did. Right, five,
0: five, yeah, we don't know when the deal's <laughs> going to close. You don't know, you know, there's there's a bunch of uncertainty there. Yeah, but, I mean, the stock price, you know, if, if you look at the merger herbs, it's definitely not saying there's a 100% chance of the deal happening. Mm-hmm. But neither is it saying there's a less than 50% chance. It's okay. saying, you know, if you look at the probability there, it's saying there's probably like a 90% chance.
2: Okay. Also, yeah, he's so erratic. I mean, how, how do you evaluate probability with regard to Musk? He's not a normal to you
1: he's yeah. i'm just can i just say like this is the third week in a row we've talked about this man <laughs> and this company the company i mean it's very important to m- media it's very important as a platform for politicians and business people such as elon musk and for us who are all on there all the time sorry but like three weeks in a row my god like i am i'm like feeling kind of upset actually this week that he has taken over the conversation in such a a total way and and really it's not important like the company isn't it twitter has, felix had a stock chart this week that showed twitter's um, stock price since it went public and it's basically like a flat line going across like this is not even that interesting of a company has been kind of poorly run the whole time elon musk is just a marketer to my mind he's really really good at getting everyone talking about him including slate money three weeks in a row i'm really sorry to the listeners. It's just, I just yeah. needed to interject with that.
3: Okay.
0: Yeah. So. Okay. So number Sorry. one, apologies. We will try not to talk about Elon <laughs> next week. Number two, if you want much more talk about Elon, just go listen to my podcast with Ezra Klein that came out on Friday. And that that's going to be your Elon for the day. Number three, if you have um, <laughs> questions about poison pills, we'll answer that and then we'll move on. The question oh, yeah, that we got question? from was like, what was the point of the poison pill and why wasn't it triggered? And the answer is, Well, the poison pill was option value for the board. It allowed the board to say no if they wanted to say no. And it allowed the board to protect themselves from a hostile bid by Elon if he was so minded. If the board, on the other hand, after considering, decided, actually, this is about as good of an offer as we're going to get. It's uneconomic because Elon is a crazy person. They don't need to implement the poison pill. They can just agree to sell the company to him.
1: Should we talk about what Elizabeth's piece said? Have we talked about it in the past three weeks? What Elon Musk could potentially do to Twitter that will make it worse for people and raise the level of harassment, especially against women? And
0: We don't know, is the answer. And there are a lot of constraints that Elon Musk isn't thinking about right now, including European Union law about what you can and can't have on platforms. And also, which is the other one, which is huge, Apple's App Store. Mm. If... Elon allows all manner of crazy um, activity to happen on Twitter. Apple will pull Twitter from the App Store. It will. There's no doubt about that.
2: Also, it just makes the whole thing, you know, less brand safe for advertisers. And that's their primary revenue stream.
0: Yeah, but, like, he's going to make it all up with BirdCoin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So wait, you Don't guys give are, him ideas. <laughs> you guys are, are power users, I would say, of Twitter, more than me even, I would say. And what would it take to get you to quit Twitter? Felix, go ahead.
0: <laughs> I, I, I have been moving off Twitter, I have to say. I use it much less than I did even a year ago, and I feel good about that. And it's something you can wean yourself off. And if Apple took... Twitter off the app store, that would help.
2: Yeah, I think if everybody that I actually go to Twitter to read leaves, I'll leave. I, I can't imagine me personally leaving because of, uh, you know, harassment and confrontation and argumentation because I'm I'm an argumentative person <laughs> and I, I, I enjoy that. So, uh, but yeah, if, if, if there's nothing of value on the platform because all the smart people have left, then why be there?
1: And it, it is notable, and some pieces have pointed this out in the past week, but Twitter has gotten better since the bad old days of 2016. Like, they improved their moderation quite a bit,
0: actually. Well, specifically, it's got, gotten better since January 2021 when they kicked Trump off.
2: Yeah. and that, that
0: was a visible User
2: base went up 21%. Or they, they increased the user base by 21% after Trump left.
0: Um, but the one thing we can all agree on is that Number one, Elon Musk will allow Trump back onto the platform. And at number two, even though Trump has said to Fox News that he will not join the platform because he's focused on sending truths on truth, <laughs> he will join the platform. Of course he will. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you were wrong about Elon Musk buying Twitter, so you could be wrong about this too.
0: I, I, it is true. I've been <laughs> wrong about many things.
2: Hello, I'm Emmy Harper. On the Slow Newscast from Tortoise, I tell the story of how a Hong Kong billionaire was silenced.
0: I got bombs thrown into my house. I got people came here ransacked my computer and I I got people fractured me. I got this and that, but I'm safe.
2: And what it reveals about the freedoms Hong Kong no longer enjoys. Listen to Hong Kong's Rebel Billionaire on the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts.
3: But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.
0: Bill Wong, we have to talk about Bill Wang and Archegos. This is this is like huge people. He's been indicted. He was arrested. He was, what, like $500 million bail or something? Or $100 million bail? So this is the hedge fund manager who famously blew up because he got massively levered long in things like Viacom. Turns out he was controlling like half the free float in half, in, in a bunch of these dogs. And he was buying buying them. They would go up because he was buying them. And then he would use the profits from the stock going up to buy more, rinse and repeat, and just went up and up and up and up. And then, as these things I want to do, it all, like, crashed, more or less, overnight. Um, He lost all of his money. A bunch of banks, including Credit Suisse, lost a bunch of money. And, you know, let this be a lesson to you, young, budding traders. Don't do that. But what's fascinating is that now he's being criminally charged, and they're saying, like, this was criminal behavior, and you should go to jail for it. (laughs) So... Elizabeth, as the as the banker here, <laughs> do you think what he did was
2: criminal? So, uh, here's what I'm confused about. So, in the in the indictment, there there are kind of they say you did some crimes, but you, you basically did two crimes. One is that you manipulated the market by buying up, you know, ex- excessive amounts of specific stocks and then continuing to do it in order to raise the price. Mm-hmm. It's not clear to me that that was actually market manipulation. To me, that just sounds like the kind of or, or except in maybe a Michael Lewis sense where everything is market manipulation, uh, but the other thing was in the indictment mentioned that he had lied to counterparties about his positions, and that to me seems very straightforward. You cannot do that. Uh, but in terms of you know taking the positions he did and buying them up, that's what he had a reputation for doing. A tiger, you know, he, he would he would just take a handful of stocks, he would create huge long positions in them. And then he would stick with them with this sort of almost religious conviction that well, they're going the to Well, Actual religious
0: heart. conviction. He's famously true, a very devout yeah. Christian. This was the thing, right? And you probably read the complaint a little bit more carefully than I have, but was there any actual meat in terms of the allegations about him lying to his counterparties? was there like a lot of like black and white? He said this, and in fact, that was a false. That was false, and that was right. There a lie?
2: was. I read somewhere that the the banks kind of uh coordinated and, and met and sort of discovered that way that he was lying to them about the positions he had elsewhere.
0: Right. So this this is the this is the claim, is that he would borrow a bunch of money against like Viacom stock from. Credit Suisse, and they'd be like, "You have a really big position in Credit Suisse. Do you, you know, have a similar position in Viacom stock with any other prime broker?" And he'd be like, ah, "Nah." <laughs> and and so, but like, I I'm, I couldn't quite find, and I, maybe it was just because I wasn't looking hard enough. I couldn't quite find anything in the complaint where they had a communication from him to Credit Suisse or anyone else saying no, I don't have that position anywhere else. But they were like, you, they, they claimed that he lied, but I just didn't see the actual lies.
2: Yeah, I didn't get all the way through the complaint, so maybe it's in there somewhere. I would assume they have it documented somewhere. Like, uh, you know, it, it would seem odd to just speculate that that's what he was doing. And then the other part, as you
0: say, is like he was very open about the fact that the stock was going up because he was buying it. But then every single institutional investor in the world is well aware that if they come in and buy billions of dollars worth of relatively illiquid, you know, stocks and get a significant, significant percentage of the free float, then that's going to drive the price up. That's how markets work, right? And so, yeah, I'm kind of with Elizabeth on this one that it's like. Just because you know that your activity is changing the price does not mean that you're manipulating the market. Yeah,
2: there was one little thing he texted somebody and who, who noted that one of his stocks was going up and he said, Yeah, that's because I'm buying it, haha, and then had an emoji. But the thing is you could read that text one of two ways. Like either he's just observing what is happening and, and what you would expect to happen, or, you know, the SEC seems to be reading it as, you know, implying some kind of intent. Like I'm buying it up in order to drive it up, but. right?
1: But wh- I guess what I'm confused about, because Felix, you said he was buying up the stock, but the way I read it, he was buying swaps, so he didn't technically, like, he didn't have to report to the um, in any right. filings exactly. that he owns a yeah. a big well. Chunk I mean, of this stuff as
0: we was, as as we saw with Elon, you're not allowed to buy more than a right. certain percentage of any company before, like, you have to run into rules about like, well, what if you want to do a takeover bit already? it? Mm-hmm. And so, he he basically used all of his prime brokers, Credit Suisse and others, to buy stock on his behalf. Mm-hmm. And so really it was like Credit Suisse and all these other people who were buying the stock, but all of the economic risk and all of the economic exposure was on him.
1: Right. And it, it seems like there's like a regulatory solution here, not a litigation solution. Like you should, the same rules should apply. Like if you have a big lot of swaps and, and that represents a big chunk of stock that you would normally have to report, just because it swaps doesn't mean you wouldn't have to report them. I don't understand like that just seems like a loophole to me like that sh- that should be the answer you know instead of Yeah I mean some yeah, but the
0: the difference is that he couldn't vote the stock right uh, he didn't he didn't have he didn't have control of the stock in terms of you know being able to make changes to the board and that kind of
1: thing Right but he still had enough control that it was effectively like he was manipulating the stock price cuz he had so well, much
0: he, the stock price was going up where where <laughs> like manipulating is such a weird word right because the way that the SEC looks at this is basically anything that moves the price of a stock is market manipulation you should, you know and on the other hand everything moves the price of a stock so everything is market manipulation so i feel like you know this this criminal complaint is let's just say it's aggressive i don't know what the outcome is going to be but it is famously extremely difficult to prosecute white-collar crimes. Mm -hmm. And just looking at the complaint, and we don't know what the evidence is going to be in court, but looking at the complaint, I think this is going to be hard to prosecute, and there's a very good chance he'll be found not guilty.
1: And the other piece of the complaint where, like, the guy lied to the banks when they asked him, are you doing this other places? And he was like, totally not. And they were like, okay, cool. Like, the banks probably should have known better, don't we think? Like, the like, banks should it's like certainly like a very Madoff-y kind of situation. There was,
0: like, I mean, yeah, uh, the, the credit squeeze comes out of this looking much worse than Bill Wang does. You know, right. like, the, the, the risk controls at the banks, it's up to the bank, they're grown-ups, right? They, yeah. the, their risk officers should be on top of this shit. And they can't base their entire lending protocol on the basis of, like, well, I met the guy in the pub and he said that, like, he wasn't doing this anywhere else.
1: Yeah, like, if you give me a mortgage based on nothing... And I or give me a mortgage based on me saying, like, I'm a millionaire and then it turns out I'm not like that's on
0: you. Well, more to yeah, the <laughs> point, but more to the point, if you go along to a bank and take out a mortgage mm-hmm. for 80 percent of the value of your house and then you go along to another bank and also try to say, take out another mortgage mm-hmm. for 80 percent of the mm-hmm. value of your house, the other bank is going to do a title search and is going to realize that there's already a lien on the house. And they're going to be like, uh-uh, you're <laughs> not allowed to do that.
1: They won't just ask me. You don't have anything else going on, and that's fine. Yeah, this is on them.
2: Apparently, when they realized this was happening, Goldman ran screaming immediately. And the rest of them, I guess, just thought that they would fix it somehow. But then they got left holding. So,
0: yeah, what happened was that there was a big conference call with all the prime brokers. Fun. And Credit Suisse was the most exposed. And it was straight out of Margin Call, the movie, And basically, Goldman Sachs realized exactly what was going on. And they basically said, "Okay, whoever dumps their stock fastest is going to be able to get out of this without suffering (laughs) billion dollar losses. And whoever is last to the exits is going to wind up losing a fuck ton of money. And so we're just going to dump our stock right now. (laughs) And all of the other banks was like, "Hold on, hold on. If none of us sell, and we all just <laughs> hold on to it, and we all agree not to sell, then maybe none of us need to take losses. Because if none of us are selling, then the stock won't go down." And Goldman was like, "See ya." <laughs>
1: <laughs> like the worst musical chairs ever, or something. It was. It was
0: like pure prisoners'
2: Goldman. dilemma. Pure <laughs> Goldman.
0: Like, well, you know, I mean, Gary Cohn was very proud that day. If, I don't think he was still there in, at the time, but, like, he would have been proud. The ghost of Gary Cohn was walking the corridors of Goldman Sachs. I mean, day. it
1: makes you think Goldman knows what the fuck it's doing. They kind <laughs>
0: of do. No, no one, no like, they're not a complete clown show. Like, we're you not know, in one, this one for, like, MDB the communal
1: descending. banking. Like, we're not all a big team.
0: <laughs> Should we have a numbers round? Okay. What's your number?
1: Four point five percent. Okay, that is um, the increase in the employment cost index, which was released on Friday morning. In other words, this is um, year over year. So people got a four point five percent raise on average. Last
0: I love, year. I love the way that we, we're framing raises as employment cost.
1: Well, that's <laughs> because this is a number. <laughs> companies report this number, and they they say how much are you spending on your people, and you know, and they they have like a big number, and then the the they do kind of like shenanigans with it to figure out what kind of workers are getting the
0: the the fed really cares about this because it is one of the core drivers of inflation because we are all human and most humans at least the ones i know and certainly myself have this ability when they get paid more money to spend more money you know that's just how it works um we all have this idea before we get a raise that, like, well, actually, I'm living okay right now. And if I get a raise, then I'll be able to save that money. And, like, 5% of people can do that. Yeah, but no the rest of that. us are just like, more money, great. And then we buy toys.
1: Well, the reason I'm interested in this 4.5% number is because it is, what was inflation year over year? Like, 8.5%. Eight, eight so see the difference there? Prices have gone up 8.5%. And your pay has only gone up 4.5%. So guess what happened to people? They're losing money year over year yet everyone is talking about, not everyone, the uh, econ nerd world is talking about the hot labor market and how workers have so much power now and like that is actually all true but at the same time they're all making a little bit less money so I don't know. Just putting that out there. Bad vibes, I guess. Bad
0: vibes. Um, My number is 43% which is the percentage of smokers in america who smoke menthol cigarettes which is way higher than i would have anticipated
1: wow it is yeah it is very high
0: so basically (laughs) more than two out of five cigarettes smoked in america are menthols and for black smokers it's over 80 percent i mention this because the Biden administration is now moving forwards with banning menthol cigarettes. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen or even whether it's going to happen because there will, of course, be court cases, but it's an interesting move.
1: They've been trying to do it for two decades, the Wall Street Journal reported. Yeah. So this is a 20 years in the making kind of thing. And, and I guess menthol cigarettes are are worse for you than even regular cigarettes.
2: Yeah, there's, there's a. Part they're, of the...
0: they're harder to quit and, yeah. and they're more addictive.
2: I, part of the rationale is supposedly that they, they want to sort of stop younger people from starting smoking mm-hmm. menthols. But when you think about the which generation is smoking menthols, it's it's definitely not the 18 to 34 set. Mm-mm. My bio mom smokes menthols, and she's 73 and Hispanic, <laughs> I don't think. It's a, they should be regulating vaping, I guess, if, if that yeah. were really the— so, so
0: what do you think will happen if if they do get banned? What's your, what's your biome I'm going to do?
2: She'll just move to whatever the strongest Marlboro <laughs> version of cigarette is. She, she
0: won't just move to, like, a mint vape?
2: I don't, no, I don't think so. I, I, not her style. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's your number?
2: Uh, my number is 80,000. That's uh, the number of seats in the new stadium that uh, was just built in Doha for the World Cup. Uh, and this this just strikes me as... One of the many ways in which uh, Qatar is now um, enormously wealthy, more so than, you know, it has been in the last year because of the war in Ukraine and oil prices. Uh, so there was another number that I forgot to write down. It was just the the amount of GDP divided by the number of people in Qatar. And it's just insanely high. This is...
0: Qatari GDP per capita? Yeah. Yeah no the the stadium in, in Doha is they have little air conditioning units underneath every single seat to make sure that you don't just boil alive Is it
1: outdoor? It's outdoor.
0: It has like a a solar you know parasol type thing to try and keep a little bit of shade in there but yeah it's it's just way too hot to play football in the desert. Come on people. But yeah, on that note, I think we'll wrap up the main Slate Money. We had lots of fun being in the studio. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Uh, We are coming back on Tuesday with the final episode of Slate Money Goes to the Movies for this season. And of course, because it's the final one we needed to bring back. Taffy brought us her Agnes she is going to be talking to us about Bonfire of the Vanities.
1: You guys should watch it. <laughs> Although it's quite bad. But 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 Taffy doesn't think so. So
0: she starts off saying it's good and then she kind of like walks that opinion back a bit. So yeah, that's on Tuesday. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Keep the emails coming on slate money at slatecom Thank you to Shane Roth for keeping the wheels on this bus and we will be back. That's Saturday with another